and we are back. Welcome to Youth Group Radio. If you are a uh, previous listener to the program, you'll know that it's been a while since we've posted anything. But we are finally back. and We're going to be continuing our study, going through the Gospel of John, asking the question, Who is Jesus? And we're not going to answer the question. Instead, we're going to try our best to let Jesus answer the question for us. So if you've not heard any of the previous um, uh, episodes, please give those a listen. If anything, just read through the Gospel of John. Today we are in John chapter 6, starting in verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some, some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe, and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed, and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Let's pray. Lord, may this year honor you, and may your kingdom come. Your will be done. Teach us to follow you and you alone. It's in the name of Jesus. 
Amen. Earlier in this chapter, you see Jesus feeding the thousands. He gives them bread and fish to eat. Then the next day, the crowds come and they find Jesus once again. And they ask him to send down more bread from heaven. But then Jesus tells them, I am the bread of life. And now he is telling them that they must eat his flesh and drink his blood. That is where they will find life, and that is where they will find satisfaction. (laughs) But the crowds are not satisfied. They start grumbling amongst themselves and, and saying, This is hard. This is difficult to understand. And you have to understand... Coming from their perspective, these are are, are God-fearing Jews, and it clearly states in their law that they are not supposed to consume of blood. And yet here Jesus is saying, drink my blood. And certainly they're not supposed to be cannibals. They're not supposed to eat each other. But he's saying, eat my flesh and drink my blood. It's a very scandalous thing to say. Jesus is putting a huge hole in their worldview. And they're just starting to see that maybe Jesus isn't quite who they thought he was. They were raised up to think about God and life in one way. But here Jesus comes in and he puts everything they once thought was so important to question. And so they mentally and spiritually check out. This is too much. This is not what I expected. This is not how I was raised. And according to the crowds, Jesus is teaching them some difficult things. But what was so difficult about it? This new teaching was difficult in the sense that it was demanding not just to get your mind around it, but also to get your heart and soul into it. You see, they would rather Jesus be more like Moses leading them to land and wealth and prosperity. We today would rather Jesus be kept within the bounds of our personal agendas and maybe even our political agendas. We would rather Jesus be kept within the bounds of our own aspirations. We need Jesus to be a good luck charm in sports or our end-of-the-world mascot or our political mascot He needs to pledge allegiance during the national anthem, or he needs to take a knee during the national anthem. We need Jesus to to make church look like it did back in the day. We need Jesus to bring our attendance numbers up. (laughs) But read this passage and see what happens to the numbers once people start listening to what Jesus is saying. You see, Jesus isn't saying what people want him to say, and... And what happens to the numbers? The crowds leave. What once was thousands and thousands of people dwindles back down to 12. Because the crowds would rather find someone else, another preacher who will be more in tune with their worldviews, their aspirations, their agendas. Just the 12 is left. And how does Jesus respond to that? Does he say, oh man, did you see how many people showed up for our outreach? I mean, we probably had 4,000 decisions made tonight. We're going to post this video on Facebook. We're going to raise up money so that we can do it again next year. It's going to be even bigger. We're anticipating 7,000 decisions. I'm going to be releasing my book next week. 
No. Jesus sees the thousands of people leave, and he turns to the twelve. And he doesn't beg them to stay. He doesn't say, please stay. I'll change. We can get them back. No. Jesus looks at his twelve disciples, and he says, do you guys want to go too? You see, even if everybody leaves, even if there is no one left next to Jesus, he will not be stopped. He will not be stopped from doing the Father's will, from rescuing the world from darkness. God's love does not hinge on you or on me. God's love does not hinge on our faith. No amount of disbelief can stop his love. No amount of disbelief will stop him from sacrificing himself on the cross. No amount of hate will keep him from walking out of the grave. No, God's love does not hinge on our faith. Rather, God's love grows our faith. But there is a decision to be made today. Jesus is ushering in new creation in the dead and dying world. The question is, Will you be part of it? In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul writes, Hoste antis in Christos kainos which literally, it's translated as, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Who do you want Jesus to be? What agenda have we put him up to? For many of us, all Jesus is is just... He's something to believe in. But we can't forget John chapter 1, where John boldly states that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. The Word did not become an idea. The Word didn't become a feeling. The Word didn't become an experience. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, God became human and stepped into human history with intentions beyond our agendas. Jesus is more than just something to believe in, and maybe, maybe we grasp that. But we also must embrace that the agenda of Jesus was not just to make a way for us to get to heaven. What happened on the cross was not simply your ticket into heaven. It was not simply the solution to the problem of sin. What happened on the cross was the revelation of God, the revealing of His love, the revealing of His power, and the revealing of His glory. What happened on the cross was not simply Jesus solving our predicament in order for us to get to heaven. What happened on the cross was the victory of all victories. What happened on the cross was the beginning of new creation taking over the universe. When Jesus died on the cross, his disciples thought it was the end. They didn't celebrate. They were traumatized, heartbroken, defeated. But when they saw the resurrected Jesus, they began to understand. They began to realize that what happened on the cross was far bigger than they ever realized or could ever fully capture with thought or words. And their lives were never the same again. In our passage today, Jesus made everybody uncomfortable. 
Everyone had the wrong idea on just who this Jesus was. And think about this. When was the last time Jesus made you uncomfortable? I really think that if Jesus isn't making us uncomfortable, then it's very likely that we are imagining a false Jesus. Now, we could make up cute back-and-forth dialogues between us and Jesus, where Jesus tells you to buy a house or pursue a particular career or switch churches or do something that makes you feel relatively uncomfortable. God told me that I need to fill in the blank. But don't you see how self-obsessed that is? You see, when we talk like that, it's not Jesus that's making us uncomfortable. It's just our own personal desires that are making us have to do some sort of uncomfortable thing, and we put the Jesus label on it. When was the last time that Jesus, you read the words of Jesus, you looked at the life of Jesus, when was the last time that Jesus made you feel uncomfortable? Like, whenever Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That should make us feel uncomfortable. Or what about in our passage today, where Jesus tells the crowds, you need to drink my blood and eat my flesh. I mean, what if Jesus walked up to you today, and that was all he said? He said, I want you to munch on my flesh, and I want you to chug my blood. I mean, what do you do with that? Oftentimes, when presented with a tough, confusing teaching like that, we just resort to what we know. Oh, you know what? I'll, I'll just read my Bible more. I'll pray more. I'll do this. I'll do that. I'll do less of this. I'll do less of that. But don't you see the problem? It's all still focused on me. I'll do it. I can fix this. Do you think the 12 disciples understood what Jesus meant when he said we had to eat his flesh and drink his blood? Not a chance. But what do they say when Jesus asks them, do you guys want to go too? Peter speaks up in verse 68. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. No, they don't understand. But they know that there's nowhere in the world they'd rather be than right there with Jesus. Even if their faith is weak and tiny and, and, and incomplete, they know this is where we must be. And that's enough. And Jesus responds by saying, I chose you twelve, and yet one of you is a devil. He was referring to Judas Iscariot, who would later betray him. And Jesus says that he was a devil. Now, our minds can quickly go to fiery images of demons and pitchforks. But the truth is, we can all be devils. For you or me to be a devil, by definition, is for us to be a slanderer or an accuser. And this is a warning for all of us who claim to be close to Jesus. We live in an age when Sunday worship attendance is presumed to be the greatest display of one's devotion. And in all likeliness, it is perhaps the only devotion to Christ that many people know. Judas didn't leave with the crowds. He stuck around. He was there for it all. He helped feed thousands of people. He was part of the greatest ministry on earth. 
He was right there in the middle of the ministry of Jesus. And yet, he was a devil. His attendance meant nothing. He was a slanderer. He was an accuser. So we have to ask ourselves, am I being Christ-like with my brothers and sisters? Am I acting like Christ, who forgives and sacrifices himself to serve the most difficult of people, who unites us and builds us up? Or am I acting like a devil, having secret meetings, accusing my brother or my sister of something, and tearing them down behind their back? That's not a hard place for any of us to get to. We need Jesus. He is the bread of life. We need to eat his flesh and drink his blood. The crowds were hungry, and Jesus told them, Consume me. You will find your fulfillment if you let go of yourself and just consume me. You will find satisfaction. You will find your nourishment. You will find true eternal life in me. We are hungry, and we are hungry for far more than just food. Everywhere you look, you see brokenness, injustice, hatred, lust, violence, greed. And we demand that, God, you need to do a better job. And so what does God do? He gives his body. He spills his blood. The Gospel of John doesn't give the traditional details of the Last Supper with Jesus breaking the bread and giving the wine to his disciples. But here in our passage, John shows Jesus telling the crowds the same thing that Jesus told his disciples at the Last Supper, where he said, this is my body given to you. And he gives them the wine and he says, this cup is my blood poured out for you. Eat it, drink it. And every time we eat the wine and, or sorry, we, we drink the wine and eat the bread, we are supposed to do it in remembrance of Jesus. So would you take time today to remember Jesus? Remember Jesus in all circumstances, not just in the circumstances you tend to remember him in, not just in a religious setting. Remember him in all circumstances, in every worry, in every obligation, in every interaction. Remember Jesus, because therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The people in the passage were confused by the teaching that Jesus gave. What does it mean that we're supposed to eat his flesh and drink his blood? And even today, there's huge debates about it. Lots of different Christians from lots of different denominations and traditions hold different interpretations of this. But what does it mean? I think in its most simplest of forms, in the most simplest ways of understanding it, simply means put your hope on Him. Put your hope on His sacrifice, on His giving of His body, on His spilling of His blood. That is our victory, the victory of victories. And we, when we put our hope, our faith in that, we will have our thirst quenched by his death, by his sacrifice, and we will never hunger again. We can know this for sure. Jesus is enough, and he quenches the deepest and truest and most ancient 
thirsts forever. So as you go about your day, ask yourself, what are ways that you can remember Jesus today? In what ways, in what interactions, in what scenarios can you remember Jesus today? Not just with your mind, but with your actions, with your words, with your heart. How can you remember him this week? How can you ensure that you remember him this year? Thanks so much for tuning in. It's good to be back here at Youth Group Radio. Be sure to check the description for any scripture references. We will be posting up regularly from now on. God bless. And until next time, Youth Group Radio signing off. Peace out.